Welcome to Unlocking Moves, where we're going to cover the key decision points and pivotal moments that really change the trajectory of successful entrepreneurs and leaders. And I want to hear their real life stories, not just the glory stories, but also the gory stories. Because as I like to say, the bigger the shit show, the bigger the lesson. Speaking of stories, my guest today is Tyler Allgaier. He's got an inspiring story of tragedy, failure, therapy, and yes, ultimately success. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss what Tyler has to say about the last 10 years of his relatively brief 29 years of life. But Tyler, before we dive in, I like to ask my guests an off-the-wall question or make an off-the-wall comment to really throw them off balance to start the episode. You ready for this? I'll do my best. So there was a number of ways I could have gone. The easy way would have been to ask you why you started Pitted Labs, which I think has already gotten a lot of press. And it's, you know, you're, you're famous for saying I, I started it to earn, quote, some Taco Bell money. Yeah. I didn't want to go there, A, because I think it's already covered. And B, how aspirational is it to make 50 cents a day? I just didn't think that was going to make a great story, but we'll come back to that. Here's the story I do want to ask. And that is you and I both share a trait. I don't think it's a common trait but it's a trait that you and I share. We are both fans of the underdog. I would say I have a quasi hatred for the establishment, for the man, for the, you know, whoever people think they're superior to, whatever it is. I love the underdog and you do too. My yep. question for you is tell us why. I've been in a lot of circumstance in my life. And let me first preface by saying I by no means um, lived an unprivileged life. I'm very grateful and blessed for the childhood that I had and the family that I had growing up in. But I felt that despite my best efforts and the people that I was close to, despite their best efforts, were not given opportunities that I felt I myself or they deserved, uh, despite best intentions. And so with Pitted, you know, starting it seven years ago, um, you know, I by no means was I qualified to start a company to do what I did. Uh, even today, that I have an immense amount of imposter syndrome, but. If you look around uh, myself and the team and the people that I brought with me and that have supported me, grit does have a tremendous amount of value. And I think that is often overlooked because it doesn't have a fancy uh, aluminum seal on a diploma or carry some big weight to the name of the institution they came from or where they worked. Those things certainly help and they're not without merit. But to myself personally, I haven't gone to a huge name school except for maybe one year of grad school, which thank my lucky stars I got in, my team is built of people who are full of grit. I couldn't tell you half of the educational experience that some of my team has. I'm not sure if they will have degrees or what things they have like that, but the grit and the tenacity that comes from non-school, non-past work experience makes huge differences to people. And that's the underdog. I love it. And uh, just for the listener's sake, you went to Utah Valley State, is that right? And also... Utah Valley University. Man, I bounced around. I went to three schools for undergrad. I went to Towson University in Baltimore, BYU Idaho for a hot second, Utah Valley University for my last two years undergrad, and then University of Washington for grad school. So I am very familiar with the transfer system of <laughs> universities. <laughs> hey, before the portal was cool, you were uh, you're in the portal. Yeah, oh, I was that. working it. <laughs> hey, so uh, let me go back to the Taco Bell question. Anything, any uh, light you want to shed on that? Because it sounded like you uh, you wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, when I say that I was unqualified to start a business, uh, and we'll probably talk about this later, um, 
but I cannot overstate that enough. I was in school to be an accounting student. I was and still am a sucker for Taco Bell. I try to eat it less now, but something about Taco Bell at midnight sounds really good still. There was no master plan to the business. There was no, it was not part of a capstone project. It's literally sitting at the Taco Bell on campus thinking like, you know, be nice to afford this more than once every three weeks. And so my very first client that I had was paying literally $250 a month fixed. And I'm like, this is incredible. As a college student, like scraping by, like that is Taco Bell money. That means you're not dying this week. So that was a win. I didn't have to take a nap for lunch. Well, I, I will. Uh, I know that $250 goes a long flipping way at Taco Bell. So <laughs> sure does. maybe a lifetime supply of Taco Bell money. Yeah. I'm wait, I'm still waiting for the official Taco Bell sponsorship, but you know, one day. Hey man, uh, this episode has been uh, brought to you by Taco Bell. You didn't know that. We did it. Hey, if you guys haven't heard already, Tyler Allgaier is my guest today and he's only 29 years old, but he's got a lifetime of experience. He's the founder of the Pitted Companies, which is a multi-million dollar concern in, in, based in Utah that provides optimization, warehousing, and logistics and capital for companies that want to sell on Amazon, which is the world's biggest marketplace. And to date, they've done over $100 million in revenue on the Amazon system. And he started his career in public accounting after some challenges in his late teens, early 20s that we're definitely going to get into. Tyler, Thank you so much for joining me today on Unlocking Moves. Of course, thanks for having me. If you're just joining us on Unlocking Moves, today's episode is brought to you as usual by Hire Better, the strategic talent partner for growth-minded entrepreneurs everywhere. Tyler, as I said before, you've got a great story that's, we're going to get deep today. I want to warn our listeners, we're going to get deep today. Where would you like to start? Well, it all started when I was born. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I like to think about my life in my pre 18 life, 18 years old and post 18. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this recording, you know, I, I, I don't take it for granted the privileged upbringing that I had, you know, my dad, you know, was able to pay for, uh, the things that we needed. We lived in a, a comfortable home, you know, had a relatively strong family group and for all intents and purposes, you know, life was easy. And if you knew me before I was 18, I remember my, I did marching band and concert band, stuff like that in high school. And my band director told me one time that I have two egos, one in case the other fails. <laughs> I was just happy go lucky. I didn't have a care for the world. I was maybe like a B minus average student slamming the Taco Bell right before basketball games. You know, things would naturally came easy to me, but like that was just the theme of my life. But hey, hey by the know, way, I, I think that's the theme of 90% of, uh, you know, 17 year old boys, uh, <laughs> So. Yeah, that, that is a good point. So, I mean, I guess in that in that sense, I was a pretty stereotypical teenage boy, um, you know, infatuated with girls. Um, yeah, the whole the whole nine yards. And uh, but that that changed pretty quickly for me. So, like I said, I, I split my life in half from pre eighteen and post eighteen. When I was a senior in high school, we found out as a family that my dad had stage four colon cancer. Um, we found out, and I believe December of 2011, and it was so odd to me because I saw him as somebody who, you know, not in great shape by any means. You know, he worked at an office, um, you know, did a lot of office hours, but, you know, you're, you're more normal, just like American unhealthy. So he got tested and I remember, you know, he sat and my mom sat me and my three younger siblings down uh, in the living room one day and said, hey, like, you know, we got tests back and dad has stage four colon cancer. 
They didn't say it um, by any means. It was lots of tears and being sad. I remember vividly not really feeling a whole lot, honestly. Like it, I see my dad. He seems fine. He seems the way I've always seen him. But now you're saying he has this really serious thing. So anyway, that was that was December of 2011. Um, fast forward nine months, he passed away in September of 2012. That was, you know, obviously a really difficult time for myself, for my, you know, three younger siblings. Um, my youngest sibling was my, is my sister, and she was, I believe, six or so years old at the time. Oh wow! And um, my dad was 42, I believe, when he passed away, and I was 18. And that was really difficult. I had graduated from high school in May prior to September, went to college. And the last few months of his life, I was coming home on weekends just to see him, you know, wither away. And in most cases, he was just sleeping and didn't have the energy to talk. And so that was really difficult for me and my family. But from that experience, I am grateful for it immensely in a number of ways. But in relation to my career and who I am today, that was such a pivotal moment. It made me shed very quickly this just nonchalant, happy-go-lucky, there's nothing wrong that could ever happen in life pre-18-year-old Tyler that had, for all intents and purposes, no struggles in life. And I, so I'm grateful for that in, in a sad and in, in kind of harrowing way. I think that was the beginning of my transformation journey. There are a few things after that, and I'm not sure how much more you want me to go in the story and tell the details. Uh, my dad passed away, like I said, in September of 2012. Nine months later, so I was raised in the LDS Mormon Church. Um, nine months later, I went on a church mission, which typically lasts two years. Um, I was sent to a country called Kosovo, um, which is just north of Greece, a very depressing war-torn area. There's a Serbian-Kosovo war in the late 90s, and that was really difficult for me. I was by myself with basically three other Americans. I didn't speak Albanian hardly. Um, sent to this middle-of-nowhere place where all I could do is email my family once a week and call my mom twice a year went through a lot of really difficult emotional health out there, emotional oh, health issues. Let me stop you just for a moment. Uh, so yeah, September yeah. of 12, your father passed. When did you go on the on the mission? Yeah, July of 2013 is when I left. Okay, so uh, nine months later. And yeah. uh, I, I I think we shared this earlier. My, my father passed now, I guess, 14 years ago, but I was 40 you know, two or three years old at the time. So slightly different stage in life, but I do not know how much of an impact it is to lose one of your parents and yeah. what a, a, just a life change that is for so many reasons. Uh, you're next in line, you feel guilty. You feel like you were, you know, a young, egotistical young man. And all of a sudden your dad's gone. So I know there's a lot of turmoil for you and you yeah. haven't processed that yet, I'm guessing. And you're in, in your first year of college. So there's a lot, going on there. And then you go to flipping Kosovo by yourself. I can only imagine what you're struggling with. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I definitely did not have time to cope at all. You know, it, my family is not one where we talked a lot about our emotions. I think that came from us taking for granted how relatively easy our lives were. Uh, certainly me and my siblings as kids. So we didn't really talk about our emotions. So like when this happened, like we were very close, we were all together physically as a family when my dad passed. But nine months, regardless of the circumstances or your uh, your propensity to talk through things and cope, and that's a short time frame, especially now being sent off to the middle of virtually nowhere, not speaking a language that you understand by yourself, um, being isolated from the world. That was really difficult. I did feel an immense amount of responsibility to step up and be the father figure. 
I don't think it was ever deliberately asked of me, but I felt an immense sense of responsibility to do that for my younger siblings. Uh, for my mom, she was going through the ringer. My dad owned a company and I saw how that had to get shut down. I remember, I don't Oh, my mom doesn't get mad at me for saying this. I remember coming home from school one day and there was a foreclosure notice on the door. Um, we ended up not losing the house, but like it was it was a lot to process in nine months. But like I said, I'm I'm grateful for it because I, I was able to come out stronger on the back end of it. Wow. Uh first of all, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I know it, it I can hear the pain in your voice and I've got pain in, in what I'm hearing uh, of, of your story. I can only imagine how lonely it was being yeah. half a world away. Uh, during that time period. So thank you for sharing. Talk to me a little bit about um, that need or or want to be the father figure. As you said to your siblings, your sister was six years old. So now, yeah. right now she's what, only 18. So she's still a girl yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. She, I mean, she's also the only girl. So there's always a sauce, but I, you know, love my dad to death. He set a really good example. Um, he, uh, he would take my sister on daddy daughter dates every week. Um, and so I, when I was in school, I even have a picture on my phone of when I took her on a brother daughter date shortly after my dad passed away. I, there was a father daughter dance at her elementary school that I ended up being the father. I was, that felt so awkward (laughs) being there with all these dads. And, but yeah, there was an immense amount of like, Hey, I need to be a father figure, even though by no stretch of the imagination, am I qualified or emotionally mature enough to do this? Like I said, like prior to that, I was a happy go lucky kid who had two egos and marching band playing the tuba. Like that's, that's all I cared about. I was getting into school and I had a great example of a father and also family members outside of my immediate family that had really great careers. So for me, it's, Hey, like I don't have time to screw around or, you know, flip flop on what I want to get to. Uh, or what I want my career to be, because I don't have the luxury of time. Like, again, this wasn't asked of me, but I felt a sense of responsibility, even financially in some sense, like, hey, like if my mom is not working, thank heavens, my dad had a life insurance policy that helped out, but my mom wasn't working. She hadn't worked since I was born and it's on me to go and get a good career. So if something happens, like I can at least help in some sense. So yeah, it was, maybe it was unfairly put on myself, but I did feel it a lot. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, when you were talking about the brother-sister dance, uh, I got the feels, and I'm sure everybody else in our audience did, and that's, uh, I bet that, that picture's pretty special. Yeah, I can I can feel it choking me up as I as I share that with you. So you, you came home and uh, from Kosovo, and yep. uh, I know that one of the things that you and I have talked about before is you're a champion of therapy. I know mental health is a, a big topic for you on an ongoing basis and still is. Tell me a little bit about what that was like in that period and whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Um, yeah, huge proponent for for mental health, therapy, it in any fashion really, whether it's, you know, you pay a therapist, you visit one on a schedule, or like talking to you right now can also be a sense of therapy in, in some sense. Um, but yeah, when I came home from my mission, I was only out for six months, so missed 18 months of what should have been a full two years of that mission, came home six months into it immediately started going to a therapist. That was my first experience in therapy ever. Um, and what I learned from that experience, it's actually kind of funny. My therapist told me that I was easy money. Um, cause I, what? I found from, yeah, i maybe not a good thing for a therapist to say, but I'm like, eh, well, I feel good coming here. And at the end of the day, that's what therapy is like, is to talk through things and feel better and get a better grasp. And for me personally, taking what's in your brain and speaking it out loud 
just doing that action helps you piece things together. And so with the therapist, yes, I was easy money, but I ended up just talking through what I felt and what I was seeing. He just listened. And, you know, candidly, that probably was easy money, but that was my first exposure. And it was so valuable to me. I was only doing that for a few months, but now as a 29 year old and however many years that is after this, eight years after that first therapy session, I still go to therapy. It's immensely valuable. I have friends who are therapists. I have coworkers who I use for therapy sessions. I cannot overstate the importance of having people that you can talk to candidly and trust that it's going to stay in a safe place. Um, bottling up emotions, not being able to share it only leads to your own self-demise and having somebody there that loves and cares for you, or if nothing else, it just willing to listen and not talk can be immensely valuable. And that's, that's powerful. Uh, it's, it's funny. I work with so many entrepreneurs, as you know, through my job at Hire Better and also uh, the kind of a quasi angel VC, uh, BKF Capital. I spend a lot of time with an entrepreneur on the, what I used, usually call the, the proverbial couch, you know, t- telling yep. me about their challenges and opportunities. And and I get a lot of th- those t- types of, of uh, discussions all, all the time. So I can only imagine how helpful that is. Uh, frankly, yeah. it's probably a entrepreneur's therapist. Maybe, maybe there's a new uh, service uh, line out there. Oh, I, I guarantee you there's, there's a lot of money to make in that field. Easy money, baby. So hashtag easy, easy money. money. Yeah. Okay. Shifting gears slightly. Uh, I know that uh, you, you've commented about one of your first part-time jobs being so valuable to the foundation for what ultimately became your uh, career as an entrepreneur. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So like I mentioned, my last two years of undergrad were at Utah Valley University here in Utah. My first, in the sense of I need to be laser focused on getting as far ahead of my accounting career as possible. I never changed my major once. I got accounting related jobs as soon as I possibly could. So my first job part-time in I think my junior year of college was at a company out of Provo, Utah called Peg Development. I can't even remember my title. It was part-time, like some BS staff bookkeeper. I, I don't even know. Um, but from that job, so Peg Development, and they're, they're still around today. They've grown a lot. Basically what they would do is they're a real estate and commercial development um, company. And so my job with them was doing basic APAR, but what they would do is they would source investors for projects. So they would do a lot with Marriott, with hotels, and also with like apartment buildings. So they would say, hey, we're going to do this project. It's going to be a hotel in Park City. We're going to create this entity structure. We're going to bring investors into it. We're going to manage all the project. And so basically what that was is because I was this lowly staff, part-time accountant, bookkeeper, quasi, I don't know anything. I was in charge of helping create the tax IDs with the IRS. So it started with that. I learned, I mean, that is the most basic building blocks of a company, getting a tax ID and then running the QuickBooks and running APAR on a very basic level. So, but I did that for dozens of different companies because they have all these different investor entities. And I also was very close with the controller and the rest of the accounting team, and they had a really good open door policy. So I learned a ton from that job. And looking back from my other jobs, maybe barring my one ish year of public accounting, I took so much from that. Like, okay, well now I know how to run books to a degree. I know how to create an EIN. I know how to like generally hacksaw my way through creating a business. So it was immensely valuable. And you know how to communicate with and uh, presumably reach out to investors to raise capital. Yep. Um, <laughs> pretty. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh man. I would always try and meet and take lunch with the, uh, the big wigs at the office bless their heart. They took me up on it, but I can only imagine the kind of dumb questions I asked them, but 
yeah, it was a great experience. Awesome. Uh, I like to uh, shout out my mentors and coaches uh, when I have the opportunity. Is there anybody at Peg Development you want to shout out and, and say thank you? Lindsay Talbot. She was the control at the time. Um, I learned a lot from how she operated. And I still, in a digital world that we live in today, for some reason, which is still logically beyond me, I still have paper files of some accounting files because that's how she always did it. So shout out Lindsay Talbot. Lizzie Talbot. All right. Perfect. Perfect. We'll, uh, we'll maybe tag her in, uh, in our LinkedIn post or something. <laughs> so let's shift gears. I'd like to talk a little bit about what Pitted Labs and Pitted Companies does. I know I introduced you as Pitted Companies. Behind you, is uh, it, it says Pitted Labs. I know there's yep. three or four companies that all are intertwined. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah. So Pitted Labs is the e-commerce consulting brand management think tank of the Pitted Company. So like you mentioned, we... We support, help grow, strategize for brands, primarily on Amazon. It's a beast of a platform, largest in the world. But we also support brands in other ecosystems, um, Walmart, Alibaba, stuff like that. That's the oldest company. I started that a little over seven years ago. Two other companies in the Pitted ecosystem follow the same naming convention, Pitted Logistics, which as the name implies, started that a couple of years ago, is our fulfillment center. You can't have e-commerce without storing and shipping stuff. To put it super simply, so we started a fulfillment company a couple of years ago um, called Pitted Logistics. The third is Pitted Ventures. So with Pitted Labs doing the consulting, working, getting in the trenches with these brands and the executives and everybody in between, Pitted Logistics, moving the packages, storing, all the Amazon prep, things like that. What we often found is we can come up with the coolest strategies. We can do everything we can on the back end, but at the end of the day, you need money to do these things for us and for the brands. So Pitted Ventures is a CPG consumer products uh, focused venture fund to help strategically provide capital to brands that we work with to help them achieve the goals that we're allowing them to do on the other companies. Awesome. Uh, as a sidebar, we need to get you introduced to the folks at SKU here in Austin. Uh, we do a lot of uh, CPG companies. There's a uh, accelerator track here in Austin and uh, across the country, actually. So love to introduce you yeah. to those guys if you haven't. Yeah, awesome. I love Austin. Great CPG community over there. Tyler, with some of the companies that you work with, uh, you get to choose who you work with. You don't want to work with somebody who's not going to be successful. What are some of the key attributes that you look for in an entrepreneur before you decide to uh, invest time or, or capital? I wish I had a science for this, uh, but I've learned that a lot of things in the entrepreneurial world, it's more art than science. So what I've learned is two things, confidence and commitment. For me, as the hiring manager or in some sense partners uh, with people that I bring into either any of my companies or people that I work with, I need to have confidence and commitment from them. Uh, same goes to us, the brands that we work with. Confidence that they are willing to do virtually whatever it takes to succeed. A part of our mission is a relentless pursuit of excellence. I need to have confidence that they're going to live up to that. Entrepreneurs and people doing what we're doing, you can't be a nine to five. You need to be a nine to five and then five to nine and then everything in between occasionally. And then commitment. There is, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, this idea of an Instagram entrepreneur is such an exciting and toxic, intoxicating idea to see the guy on Instagram leaning on the hood of his Lamborghini, throwing up all the Gucci watches, swag like that. And great, that's awesome. But there's so much behind that. And if you are not committed and work through the grit and the sucky parts of being an entrepreneur, then nothing else matters. So confidence and commitment are what I look for. You know, it's funny when you started telling me about confidence, I was thinking their confidence, their you know, confidence in themselves and obviously their commitment. So I was thinking I'm a, a, a tuba player in the band. that's very confident that I can get it done and I'm committed to yeah. making all the Taco Bell money I can. So will you invest in me? Yeah. 
I mean, those two things, if, if my own personal story says something, if you play tuba and you like Taco Bell, you're set up for success. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this. So, you know, I wrote a book called uh, Who's Your Mike? A No Bullshit Guide to the People You Meet on Your Entrepreneurial Journey. I know you've read it. Thank you very much yep. for that. And uh, the nice comments you've said to me in private. Can you tell me a little bit about who your favorite character is or why you liked it or anything to recommend to other entrepreneurs? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, you talk about it in the books. So I'm not saying this to... Uh to scratch your back or brown nose, but you start like, this is, you know, this is not just another business book. Like you can find heaven knows how many tens of thousands of those out there. Uh, the no bullshit guide is so spot on. Um, the characters in there, I've seen every single one of them in my short tenure as an entrepreneur. I can't say I like any of them more cause they all have their pros and cons, but it resonates so well with what I've seen therapy. I talked to my therapist about this and then I read it in a book. So I'm wondering if you're secretly spying on my therapy sessions. Um, but resume Ralph, I've seen uh, bounce around Betty. I've seen uh, Harry, the hustler. I've seen the Mike I've seen. So to the listeners, like you, you need to read this book. Cause like I said, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Part of that is just getting your thoughts out there, but also in some instances, getting other people's feedback. If you have any of these, or even if you have none, I guarantee at some point you will have one, if not all of them. This is therapy in of itself because now you're hearing from Kurt and you can take his experience from other people. It's it's therapy in of that sense. Let Kurt talk to you through the words in the book. Man, I love it. I'm going to use that as a commercial, baby. Let's go. Got you. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, at the end of the show, we always offer a quiz. So if you think you, you have any of the characters uh, that are in Who's Your Mike, you can take this quiz and it'll highlight you know, some, who those, some of those characters might be. So. Uh, thanks for that. Any new characters that you want to introduce? Any uh, folks from your past? You're like, man, you got to have one of these guys or gals. Uh, personal problem, Polly, is myself in a lot of situations. With my team, I tell them nothing is more lonely than being a solopreneur. Um, there is an immense amount of weight that you carry on your shoulders that for HR, legal, personal, whatever reasons, you just can't be 100% open book to employees, which oftentimes, and certainly in my case, are also really good friends. Um, so going back to the more lighthearted side, personal problem, Polly, I know I can be that sometimes to my team. So we have a very special place for that in my company. I have a few really good friends that I work with and there's a sauna in my basement and that's where we have our therapy session. The sauna, nothing is more vulnerable than sweating to death and saying, all right, guys, this is what's going on. Let's talk about it. That's awesome. Are you, uh, are you, have you watched, um, uh, Ted Lasso? Yes. Huge soccer fan. Love Ted Lasso. So are these the diamond dogs we're talking about here? Yes, we are the Diamond Dogs. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. Yeah. All right. So let me shift gears here for a second. Uh, I want to talk about, as you know, the name of the show is called Unlocking Moves, where we try to uncover that key pivotal moment or uh, decision point or points uh, that really unlock the success of the entrepreneur. I'd love to talk a little bit about what yours or maybe multiple moves might be. And I know we've probably covered a little bit of them, but tell us what some of those moves might be. The, the three big ones that I can think of, and then I'll touch on each of them in more detail. The first is, it's before I even had a company, but I didn't choose it certainly, but my dad's passing. That was a pivotal move for me, like I mentioned. You know, pre-18-year-old Tyler to 18-year-old Tyler, vastly different. That I think everybody has a story that will bring you to your knees out of sorrow and sadness. That was my story. So, like, obviously not chosen, but that was a pivotal move for me. I don't want anybody to seek that out, obviously, but that was a pivotal move for myself. The second was my decision to leave my short tenure in public accounting after nine, 12 months or so to risk it all. Keep in mind, I was an accountant 
the most <laughs> risk averse socially met people you will find on the planet. And then said, ah, I'm going to go do this thing by myself. That is the epitome of career uncertainty. And who knows if it'll work. That was a pivotal moment for myself. Um, and then the third is something that we're actually going through actively right now. Um, we're in a scale of a scaling process as a group of companies. Um, no longer is it enough to say like, you know, Hey, let's just do our best. You know, we're gotten to a point financially and, and maturity wise where we can start bringing in higher paid, higher quality tenured talent to our company. That in and of itself requires a lot of change and it's going to help us mature a lot. So those are probably the three biggest unlocking loops I've had. It's funny you said that. Well, first of all, coming back to some of the other points, uh, very uh, salient and I can absolutely appreciate the how they changed you and your trajectory. The last point on uh, one of the reasons I called it unlocking moves is because I, th- I think it's Vern Harnish that talks about key hires you can make really unlock uh, your success. And uh, and obviously that's what Hire Better does and what I, I do in my my spare time, if you will, is I love finding those key hires that can really change your trajectory. So uh, I, I know exactly where you are and appreciate where, where you are. So uh, shifting gears again, uh, I like to consider myself the listener's advocate. And uh, as if I have Tyler Allgaier here in a one-on-one situation, what would I ask him? Uh, I had one canned. I've come up with another one in, in the meantime. So I'm going to ask you both. So you used the term Instagram entrepreneur earlier. And I've seen Instagram and Facebook couples or people that everything's perfect. You know, their farts don't stink, as my boys would say. Um, And I know that most of that's, you know, they're full of shit, right? They're just trying to portray their Instagram lifestyle. Is that what you mean when you talk about an Instagram entrepreneur? That is what I mean. There's a little more to it that I'll add. Um, As of the time of recording, so maybe someday this changed if I hire somebody who's way smarter than myself to help with social media. I have maybe a couple hundred followers. I post once every six months. Social media is not my jam. This is not to not people who take advantage of social media and have a really good focus there. All credit to them, and I I certainly admire it. But the part that I don't like is the Instagram entrepreneur who only shows the success, who only shows, look at all the success I've had. Because to me, there is nothing good and durable that comes easily. There's a lot of things, especially in the past couple of years with COVID and everything, Bitcoin, um, the monkey pictures you can buy and things like that. Certainly, yeah, you can make a lot of money off that very quickly, but that's not durable. What I really appreciate and value is you can lean on the hood of your Lamborghini. You can show off all the travels that you're doing, how not stinky your farts are. But I think it's also equally important to show to the extent appropriate and comfortable, like this is not easy. Like there are days of immense sorrow and loneliness. Um, for myself personally to just openly share, like I'm going through a separation right now and that's really, really difficult. But, you know, for this podcast, I have to, you know, hey, like this is super exciting. I have to get myself in a headspace. Okay, yeah, I've got my life going on, but people see this podcast. They don't see the texts or the phone calls or the difficult conversations that happen even two hours prior to this. Um, And I think that is equally, if not more important to especially striving entrepreneurs to know that this is not an easy journey by any means. And that's why Instagram entrepreneurs at face value only show that piece. Either it's not real or they're missing the other half of the story that is really important for people to know and be aware of. And Tyler, thank you for sharing. I'll go a step further and say that the folks who have that Instagram lifestyle, especially as an entrepreneur telling you how easy it is or how much money they make, A, they're full of shit and B, um, it makes it more challenging on you to try to live up to their, you know, their standards, if you will, when it's unreachable. 
So you're setting yeah. yourself up for, for failure. And I applaud you and really appreciate you coming on and telling it like it is, that it is a challenge. It is lonely. It is hard. And you're going to have challenges or you can have challenges in your personal life and other areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So before you think everybody who's a, you know, a zillionaire is, is the most successful person in the world. Remember, there's a full person there uh, in your entire life that you don't know the whole story. Yep. So the other question I was going to ask, I'm going to ask anyway, and that is because I think it is important for this conversation. Um, what advice would you give to a young man or one a young woman who has lost a parent? Yeah, that's a good question. I've thought a lot about this and I think everybody has their own journey. Everybody is entitled to their own emotions. That is a human right to feel what you feel and to be validated that your feelings are warranted, that they're okay to have. So this is not me saying, do this, do these things, because this is solely based on my experience. Um, what I found when my dad passed away was it was so valuable that there's an onslaught, at least in my situation, an onslaught of people reaching out within the, you know, the first week or so after my dad passing. And I would imagine there's, that's more common than not. Um, you, you get people reaching out and offering help in a number of ways, but the trailing weeks and months after that, um, for other people, they don't think about it anymore. It wasn't their life. So, and this is not to knock them. It's just, it's not the hot button topic of their life anymore. And that's fine. But what was immensely powerful to me was to find friends and family members and family friends that would stay close that I could reach out to. And that to people that do know people who have had somebody close pass away to a friend or family member, remember them a month and on after that person dies. That is where the loneliness and the reality really sunk in for me. Um, it was so bizarre. The day my dad died, it was raining. His body was there. I remember the them taking away his body. And I slept that night the same I'd ever slept. I woke up the day the next day. The house was the same. I still ate the same kind of foods. It's just my dad wasn't there. He had traveled for work. And so that was not unusual. But then a month, two months, six months, even to this day, 10 years later, I have never had my dad gone for two months at a time. And so that's when the reality sunk in. So for the people that do have somebody close pass away to them, find that social circle that you can tap into following those periods where the loneliness does set in. It will happen and that's okay. Uh, but you do need to have that support network, whether it's family, friends, therapists, colleagues, that is super important to have. So let me uh, ask a follow-up to that because uh, I find that many of us, myself included, I I want to do something to let the person know that I, I love them and care for them and console them, if you will. I don't know what to say, right? And so uh, is it just as simple as, hey, Tyler, uh, just checking in and see how you're doing. I love you, man. Yeah. Honest, for, for me personally, any kind of outreach was so valuable. I remember vividly when we did the viewing for my dad and the funeral ceremony, um, so many people there. In fact, it was so bizarre. I remember laughing and making jokes with people online um, as they would go to view my dad's uh, casket. But the follow-up text, and if you are sending those messages, hey, I'm just thinking about you, don't expect a response. But I promise you, every single message is read. Every single one is looked at and appreciated. So even if it falls on deaf ears, 15 texts in a row, keep sending them. Nothing 
means more than just knowing you have people to reach out to. That person probably doesn't have the energy to respond or get back to you, but the fact that they know and can feel somebody is there to support them is so valuable. There you go. Uh, PSA, reach out to folks who have lost loved ones, who have sick loved ones, check on them, tell them that you're you're there and you care for them. Nothing else needs to be said. Just let them know that you're there and that you care for them and that you love them. So I've got one last question for you. It's a bit of a trick question. And that is, uh, tell me uh, one question that no one ever asks and you, you kind of wish they would, or maybe you're secretly glad that they don't. Oh, gosh. We've covered some in-depth topics today, so we right. not have any. I, I'm, I'm ready for this one. All right, talk to me. The, the, the question, I hope nobody asks, but now that I'm very much putting this into a public domain, I guarantee it's going to be asked more than I ever wanted to now. The question is, do you really know what you're doing? Now I've got to ask the question, do you really know what you're doing? All right. So here, maybe I shouldn't say this, but the reality is I have gone through an immense amount of imposter syndrome, whether it's real or not, justified or not. However, what I've learned about humanity as a whole, nobody knows exactly what they're doing. Everybody is do, has done something for the first time. Every day at Pitted, I am doing something that I have not done before because I'm young. I haven't done any of this before. My degree's in accounting, not marketing or finance or any of this other stuff that I'm doing. So I hope people don't ask me as much, at least not in a serious way. Do you really know what you're doing? That is, that that taps on my imposter syndrome. Well, hey, that's a great question. Uh, it's also very common for entrepreneurs, especially first-time entrepreneurs to have imposter syndrome. It's also, um, it, it's just natural to, to have that feeling, but nobody really admits it. And that's what I want to try uh, to implore uh, upon people with this podcast is it's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to to be vulnerable. It's okay to show that you're um, you're not infallible. Infallible. So anyway, thank you for sharing and uh, and you're hopefully showcasing to others how to how to be vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just add one thing to this because I think it's really important to a lot of what I've become. Like I mentioned, like there was no master plan for the pitted companies. One thing we've talked about a lot internally is. Our not so secret secret sauce is just giving a shit. Like that expands beyond business that goes into your personal life. It is so easy professionally to say that and be that your hook for sales pitch. Oh, like how many companies have you talked to as potential vendors and say, trust me, like we put our customers first. It's in our values. If you don't say that, you're wrong and you're missing something. So that's why it's so frustrating to us. It's another thing to mean it. The selfish, the selflessness and the insatiable desire to help other people will get you so far in life. Based on that concept and that belief alone, I can say without a doubt in my mind that that is what has built multi-million dollars worth of revenue at the pitted companies is just giving a shit and actually meeting it. Man, that's a profound statement right there. We give a shit. And that's, uh, I mean, it's so true. If, if you work with somebody who does, it makes a difference. So Tyler, where can we learn more about you or the pitted companies? Yeah. So we've got a few websites, pittedlabs.com, pittedlogistics.com, pittedventures, you know, all the dot-coms. Um, also find me on LinkedIn, Tyler Allgaier. I'm sure the name is going to be posted in a title somewhere. It's a tricky spelling, but find us on social. Love the chat. This is my jam. I love doing this kind of stuff. Like I said, a huge advocate for therapy, talking through stuff. I'm always here to talk to people. And thank you so much. And, and follow him on Instagram. He only has 200 followers. We need to get that up Please. to 200. Help, help me out. <laughs> 
Hey, on that note, we're going to wrap this puppy up. Please go like and subscribe wherever you consume your podcast. Check out the video version on YouTube and give us a five-star review. Uh, that helps us keep the momentum up. So thank you for that. And Tyler, I, I want you to know how much I appreciate you joining me today on Unlocking Moves, but also your vulnerability and your heart uh, is, is out in the open. And thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Thanks for having me, Kurt. If you're an entrepreneur and you think you might have outgrown a member of your team, or maybe you've got a mic, as we talked about in Who's Your Mic, check out this quiz at whosyourmic.com slash quiz. That's whosyourmic.com slash quiz.